Justin read to you from the uh, fifth chapter of Genesis. I would ask you to go ahead and turn back there, if you would, because we're going to come back to this in just a little bit for my text. Uh, but uh, uh, let me just, uh, before we uh, before we actually read the text, let me just say uh, it was a, a joy once again for us to, this past Wednesday evening, to have the young people with us uh, as we do, hopefully... Uh, and we'll continue to do at least every other Wednesday evening uh, for a time of uh, question and answer time, a time for our young people to ask questions that are upon their heart. And Justin has been doing a tremendous job of uh, leading in this time and uh, not only answering their questions, but uh, toward the end of that time sharing uh, some things from God's Word that have been a real encouragement not just, I believe, to uh, the young people that are there, but to me as well, and I believe to Donna. And we're very grateful uh, for that. Uh, but uh, uh, when we have the question and answer time, Justin generally begins with the youngest and goes to the oldest, uh, asking if there's anyone who has questions. So you know where that leaves me, don't you? I'm always last. And, uh, and I did have a question uh, this, this past Wednesday evening. And my question was a question, you know, for primarily for the, the younger folks, but, but for all of us. And my question for the young people was simply this. Do you trust the Lord? Do you trust the Lord? I mean, do you really trust the Lord? Uh, and how do you trust the Lord? Uh, you know, it makes a difference how we trust the Lord, doesn't it? Uh, you know, lots of folks will tell you they trust the Lord. But few and far between are those who trust the Lord, for example, the way Solomon exhorts us to trust the Lord uh, when he says, trust the Lord with all your heart, with all your heart. And uh, James tells us that uh, when we pray, to be, that we've got to believe. We've got to believe that if we doubt, uh, we're not really trusting the Lord, are we? And he says, let not the man that doubts think that he's going to receive anything of the Lord. And so we've got to trust the Lord with all our heart. And I was encouraging the young people to think about how they are trusting the Lord. And this morning, what I want to do as we begin is perhaps uh, begin the message with a similar question uh, for all of you, if I can, and uh, one that I hope will be both a sobering and a heart-searching question as we begin to consider some things from God's Word, but one that I hope will uh, lead uh, to your coming to a time of real joy and peace in your heart uh, as you come to rest in the Lord Jesus with a better understanding of where you are in relation to Him. And so my question for each of you and myself included this morning is are you and I, are we living our lives to please the Lord? Are we living our lives to please the Lord? 
Uh, and that's a, a, an important question, just like, are you trusting the Lord? Because uh, it's easy for us to say, oh, yes, I'm living my life to please the Lord. But at the same time, living my life most of the time to please myself. And uh, we tend to do that, don't we? We tend to do that. Oh, how careful we need to be to realize that as a child of God, as one whom God has sacrificed so much for in order that we might be a part of his forever family, we owe everything to him and we're to live our lives to please him, not just part of the time, but all the time. So are we living our lives to please the Lord? Uh, uh, do we do all that we do to the glory of God? Isn't that what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians? Do all that you do to the glory of God. Whether you eat or whether you drink, do all to the glory of God. Well, that's living your life to please Him, isn't it? For the glory of God. Uh, the question uh, and its answer is, I believe, closely related to the question that I ask to the young people is uh, that of, do you trust the Lord with all your heart? So if you would, uh, keep that question in mind as we... Uh, look now to uh, my text here in Genesis chapter 5. Uh, we want to begin looking together at verse 18, if we can, here in Genesis chapter 5. And I'm going to read down through verse 24 of uh, the fifth chapter of Genesis. Uh, Justin read the entire chapter. And uh, granted, there are some names here that are a little uh, difficult, uh, perhaps, uh, to properly pronounce. I told him that's why I'm using uh, my King James Bible here this morning that I was preaching out of when I met Donna just a few years ago, uh, several years ago, actually. Uh, this Bible has actually got uh, pronunciation in the text uh, for words that are otherwise difficult for folks like us. And so I've uh, got it this morning, so you'll bear with me uh, as I uh, read from the King James here this morning, uh, which I enjoy very much uh, to begin with anyway. So verse 18 of uh, Genesis chapter 5 says, And Jared lived an hundred and sixty-two years, and he begat Enoch. And Jared lived after he begat Enoch, 800 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Jared were 960 and two years, and he died. And Enoch lived 60 and five years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 360 and five years, and Enoch walked with God. And he was not, for God took him. Would you bow with me as we go to the Lord together in prayer? Our gracious, loving Father, 
our Father in heaven, our Holy Father. Oh, how grateful we are for the privilege, undeserved in and of ourselves is this privilege, Lord, but nevertheless, how thankful we are for the privilege that we can come before you and bow in your presence to worship you, to seek your face, Oh, God, to lay before you the burdens and the concerns of our heart as well as the desires of our heart. And, Lord, this morning I bow before you asking that it might please you to meet with us here as we consider your word together that you would give those who are listening to the word as it's proclaimed, hearing hearts, understanding hearts, as well as, Lord, granting me great grace that I might speak that clearly which you've laid upon my heart that the word that you've put upon my heart might go forth in demonstration of your spirit and of power and with authority and would work effectually in the hearts and lives of all of us Lord for your honor and for your glory Father we need to hear from you We need, O God, to be drawn near to you. We need, Lord, to understand more of your will and your purpose for our lives. So speak, Lord, your word to our hearts. By your Spirit, make it real to us. Use it in our lives for your honor and for your glory as well as for our good. And we thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now, to the best of my knowledge, and in case you uh, are wondering here, my text really is primarily to be found in verses 21 through 24, but I wanted to get a little bit of a run at it there uh, to let us know uh, that uh, Enoch was actually the son of Jared. And uh, But uh, our text is about Enoch. And uh, to the best of my knowledge, there are only two Enochs in the Bible. Uh, now, there may be others that I'm un- unaware of, but to the best of my knowledge, there are only two Enochs in the Bible. And uh, one of them is actually the eldest son of Cain, Adam and Eve's first son. And uh, we don't know hardly anything at all about him except that uh, Cain... Uh, built probably what was the first city and actually named that first city after his son Enoch that he named Enoch. And that's really all we know about uh, that particular Enoch. Well, the other Enoch, obviously, is the one we just read about here in our text. And this Enoch is the son of Jared, the father of Methuselah, uh, and he belonged to the Seth line, uh, that line of the Messiah. Uh, and uh, there's actually a prophecy uh, recorded uh, by Enoch, and it's found in the epistle of Jude. And we, if we have time, we'll take a look at that a little bit later. Now, it's not a prophecy that's quoted actually from some of the scripture as we have it here. It's actually from uh, a book that's not included in the scripture 
from a book, I believe it's First Enoch, that it's actually from. But since it is included in our Bible as prophecy, uh, then we know that it's at least the truth, or it wouldn't be there, don't we? Uh, God would have it to be there, and so uh, we may turn to that in a little while and take a look at it. But uh, we don't know very much about either one of these Enochs. Uh, but uh, uh, certainly what we know of this particular Enoch here in our text here is infinitely, infinitely more valuable uh, than that which we know about Cain's son Enoch. And I trust that we'll see the value of it as we consider it together here this morning. Uh, Notice with me, if you will, something very different about Enoch Uh, from uh, uh, the others that precede him in the line of Seth uh, that we find here in this passage of Scripture in Genesis chapter 5. Let's just take a look here. Going back to, oh, like verse 6, beginning with Seth here. And uh, let me just read, if I could, again, some of these verses here. And I want you to listen very closely uh, at some things that uh, are very common among all of these that preceded uh, Enoch here in this uh, fifth chapter of uh, of Genesis. Uh, It says, And Seth lived an hundred and five years and begat Enos. And Seth lived after he begat Enos eight hundred and seven years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Seth were nine hundred and twelve years and he died. So there are three things there about Seth that uh, stand out. He lived, and uh, he lived and begat sons and daughters, and he died. Now then, let's look at the next. And Enos, he lived 90 years and begat Canaan. And Enos lived after he begat Canaan and uh, 115 years. And then he begat sons and daughters, And all the days of Enos were 905 years, and he died. And Cainan lived 70 years and begat Mahalalel. And Cainan lived after he begat Mahalalel 840 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Cainan were 910 years, and he died. And Mahalalel lived sixty and five years and begat Jared. And Mahalalel lived after he begat Jared eight hundred and thirty years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Mahalalel were eight hundred and ninety-five and five years, and he died. And Jared lived a hundred and sixty and two years, and he begat Enoch. And Jared lived after he begat Enoch eight hundred years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Jared were nine hundred sixty and two years, and he died. And so the three things that were recorded here of them is that they all lived, they all begat sons and daughters, and they all died, right? Now then listen to the, the next man here, Enoch. And Enoch lived sixty and five years and begat Methuselah. Well, that's something he had in common, isn't it, with the others? He lived sixty and five years and begat Methuselah. Oh, but then something changes, doesn't it? Something changes. And Enoch walked with God. 
after he begat Methuselah, 300 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 360 and five years. And Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. Something changed. Something changed in Enoch's life. Something very different took place. They all died. They all lived and they all died. And yes, Enoch lived and yes, he did, but he walked with God and he did not die. Scripture says he was not. He was not, for God took him. He was not. Think about that for just a moment, would you? I got to thinking about that. He was not. Well, there's a time he was. And then he was not. You know what that made me think of? Made me think of Jesus after the resurrection. Remember the times that he met with the disciples after his resurrection? Think of that time that he met with them in that room where they had all the walls around him and the door was closed and, and he was there with them and then he wasn't. He was and he wasn't. He didn't go out of the door, did he? He had a glorified body. Walls couldn't keep him in, no more than the tomb could keep him in. What's that make you think perhaps about Enoch at this particular time? I think it might be that Enoch had something take place in his life. Maybe he was glorified. Maybe he had had an experience in his life when he had been justified, sanctified, and now was glorified. He was, and then he was not, for God took him. Maybe he saw the Lord. Maybe he really saw the Lord. Remember what John wrote in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2? We don't know just exactly what we're going to be, but when we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Oh, maybe, maybe, maybe Enoch saw the Lord and became like him. He was, and then he was not, for God took him. Early on, Early on, it appears that Enoch was just like all the other natural men. Verse 21, verse 21 says, Enoch lived 60 and 5 years and begat Methuselah. Sounds just like those others, doesn't it? Sounds exactly like them. Like verse 6, Seth lived 105 years and begat Enoch. Verse 9, Enos lived 90 years and begat Canaan. Verse 12, Cainan lived 70 years and begat Mahalalel. Verse 15, Mahalalel lived 60 and 5 years and begat Jared. Verse 18, Jared lived 160 and 2 years and begat Enoch. But notice verse 22. Enoch was changed. It says Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah. 
Something happened to Enoch after he begat Methuselah. He was changed, converted, converted. What does Paul say? What does Paul say? How does Paul describe it? How is it described in the, in the New Testament? If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Same thing is described in the Old Testament, just in a little different way. Ezekiel describes it in Ezekiel chapter 36, doesn't he? He says he's going to take away that heart of stone, give you a heart of flesh, give you a new spirit, put my spirit within you. Same thing, described a little differently. Described a little differently. Same change, same conversion, reconciliation. Look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5. I just mentioned verse 17. Let me read it again. Paul says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And then the first part of verse 18. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to Himself. Who hath reconciled us to Himself by or through Jesus Christ. By or through Jesus Christ. Reconciled. Reconciled us to himself. Now you see he walked with God. Now he walked with God. There was a time when he didn't. But now he did. Natural man walks contrary to God, not with God. All natural men walk contrary to God, don't they? And not with God. Like Amos says, can two walk together except they be agreed? Amos 3.3. 3. He asked that question, can two walk together except they be agreed? Enoch was clearly reconciled to God or he would not have been walking with God as he was. Not only, not only did he no longer walk contrary to God, but as Matthew Henry said, he walked with God always before his eye. He walked with God always before his eye. Oh, when I read what Matthew Henry said, it made me think of those verses again in Proverbs chapter 3 where Solomon exhorted, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. You know what that word acknowledge means? It means recognize. 
It means recognize. It means receive. It means uh, it means res- with receive with respect and reverence. That's what acknowledge means. In all your ways, recognize. Now, when we're talking about God, when Solomon says, in all your ways, acknowledge him, it means in all your ways, recognize him. Recognize him with respect, with reverence. It's exactly what Paul was talking about. And Justin made reference to this, I believe it was last week, when he talked about that illustration that I've shared from... uh, uh, Romans chapter 3, where Paul is giving that portrait of unregenerate, lost man there in Romans chapter 3 that begins with, there's none that understands, no, not one. There's none that does good. And he goes on to paint that picture of what lost, unregenerate man is like. And then he tells us why they are the way they are. In verse 18, he says, there's no fear of God before their eyes. No fear of God before their eyes. What's he mean by that? Well, Al Martin is is the one that said this, and he said it's like this. He said, if you go outside on a bright, sunshiny day and without your sunglasses on, look directly up at the sun for just a minute and you can't look for long, and then you turn away for a little bit, everything else you look at has black spots superimposed upon it. So that's the way it is when the fear of God is before your eyes. Everything you look at has God superimposed upon it. Oh, that's the way it is. That's the way it was with with Enoch. God was always before his eye. God was always before his eye. He walked with God before his eye. And as one who walked with God before his eye, always conscious of God's presence, always conscious of God's will, of God's word, he actually became a preacher of God's word. I said we might get to this. I want to share with you his prophecy. It's found in the book of Jude. Book of Jude, verse 14 and 15. If you'd care to look at it with me. Enoch, all the way back, all the way back there before the flood, Enoch prophesied of the second coming of Christ. Jude, verses 14 and 15. As in Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of His saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of their, all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. Enoch, walking with God, prophesying of the second coming of the Messiah, the Christ, the Lord Jesus, all those years to come, and yet he prophesied of the second coming of Christ. 
And oh, it was because, it was because Enoch walked with God that he didn't die. It's because he walked with God that he didn't die. Or as the scripture says, he was not, for God took him. For God took him. Could it be that what we see in that is what we see in Enoch's not facing death but being taken by God was a foreshadowing of death being defeated for all of us as believers? Oh, it is a fact that should we not be alive until, until the Lord returns, we're going to pass through the portal of death, aren't we? But that's all it is. It's not really death for the believer. It's just a passageway into the fullness of eternal life. Death, death is not going to defeat the child of God. Death is not going to have the victory over the child of God. Oh, death, where is your sting? It's taken away, isn't it? Taken away. It's been conquered by the Lord Jesus on the cross. When he defeated death, we in him gained the victory also, didn't we? And I think probably that Enoch being taken by God and not facing death, prefigured or foreshadowed that victory that all of us as believers have over death. Well, I want you, if you would, to turn with me now to Hebrews chapter 11. The 11th chapter of Hebrews. Here we find Enoch also. The 11th chapter of Hebrews. Verse 5. What we've really been talking about here this morning is a life that pleased God. A life that pleased God. My question to all of you was, is your life a life that pleases God? Look with me here at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5. By faith. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. He had this testimony that he pleased God. What is it that pleased God about Enoch? He walked with God, didn't he? He walked with God. He communed with God. He fellowshiped with God. He walked with God. That's what pleased God about Enoch. But how does one walk with God? By faith. By faith. 
by faith. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith and not by sight. Walking in the scripture is often synonymous with living. Living is often synonymous with walking. Paul said in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. And being justified by faith, we must go on living by faith. Paul makes that very clear. As a matter of fact, time and time again, he speaks of living by faith, doesn't he? He quotes the prophet Habakkuk from a pro from Habakkuk chapter 2, I believe it's verse 4, and he quotes Habakkuk three times. In Romans chapter 1, verse 17, in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 11, and in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 38, and he quotes Habakkuk saying, the just shall live by faith. We live our lives by faith. Faith being a gift from God, of course, it's not our faith, it's faith, the faith of the Son of God given to us, isn't it? Paul made that clear in Galatians 2.20 when he said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Notice, if you would, verse 6, the first part of verse 6 of Hebrews 11 where he goes on to say, without faith, it is impossible to please God. It's impossible to please Him without faith. I told you a few moments ago that my question to you, are you living a life to please God is closely related to the question I had to the young people, are you trusting God? They are closely related, aren't they? Because pleasing God depends upon trusting God with all your heart. All the time, trusting God with all your heart. And so once again, the question is, are you living to please the Lord? And are you seeking to grow in faith, by reading and meditating on God's Word, realizing that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God? Are you looking unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith? Enoch walked with God, and God was pleased. I believe Enoch was one who trusted the Lord with all his heart, don't you? I believe he was. To have been mentioned so little in God's word, Enoch has spoken so very much to us. And we need to hear what he has to say. We need to listen closely to what Enoch had to say.
We need to pray for grace to walk with God as Enoch walked with God. Pleasing God should be the great all-surpassing desire of our heart. Let me say that again. Pleasing God should be the great all-surpassing desire of our heart. Think about who He is. Consider what He's done. Ought we not to want to please Him at all times? In reality, if we could only realize it, it's in this that we really find real joy. And real joy will not be found anywhere else but in this. Is God not glorified when we please him? Jesus is pleased when we bear fruit, isn't he? He said in John 15, 8, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. Much fruit. Man's chief end is what? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Forever. Oh, that we might please him. Oh, that we might seek to please Him at all times with all our heart. That we might live a life that's pleasing to God. That we might walk with God as Enoch did. I was thinking, thinking about Enoch walking with God. Thinking about the times that I've consciously been aware of the blessing from God of being able to commune with God and walk with God and what a joy it was to my soul and how it's made me desire to more often walk with God. The last hymn we sang this morning talked about walking with God, didn't it? That hymn, Close to Thee, Close to Thee. But I was in my study this morning, and the words of another song <coughs> came to mind. It's a song that we, I don't know that we've ever really sung it in church together, but it's an old, I guess, quartet song, really. But the chorus, you all know, I'm sure, it says, just a closer walk with thee. You know it, don't you? Just a closer walk with thee. Granted, Jesus is my plea. Daily walking close to thee. Let it be, dear Lord, 
let it be. That's the prayer of my heart. That's the prayer of my heart. I pray that it's the prayer of your heart as well. That you want to walk close to the Lord every day, every moment of every day for his glory to be pleasing in his eyes. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, can we? Our Father, once again, I want to say thank you. Thank you for granting the joy of being able to gather on this Lord's Day to lift voices in songs of praise and worship, to thank you, Lord, for your word that we might be confronted with a word from on high. A word, Lord, that would make known to us of a need in our lives, of a greater conformity to that which is right in your eyes. Lord, I, for one, have a great need in my heart. For that, Lord, help me, strengthen me, enable me. And Lord, I pray for these, my brothers and sisters here today, that you would strengthen each one and draw each one close. Grant us grace that we might walk with you as Enoch walked with you. Oh, Lord, that we might, like Enoch, be pleasing in your eyes. Be with us now through this day. Bless, bless the mothers who are present here today. Bless them, O oh Lord, with a sense of your presence. Guide them, direct them, fill their hearts with joy. Help them, Lord. We pray in Christ's precious name. Amen. Well, the Lord bless you and the Lord keep you.